want to go to there. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, full hearts, give us. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, you shaved your I head. D- Everyone is surprised when I do it, even though I do it like every three months. It's very, very confusing. No, you, okay, but it's really short. It's like the shortest I think of. Like, it's entirely it possible. I, I didn't, I mean, I trimmed it. So it's like very, I did actually properly shave it once, which was freaky. Uh, but yeah, nothing <laughs> quite like a razor going over your scalp. Uh, anyway, yeah. yeah. I just woke up and was disgusted with myself, and then I thought this might help. It didn't, but it's different. Well, and it's also been very, I don't know, is it warm by you? It's been very warm. In it Chicago. is very warm. So that is. So apparently the summer comes yes, in August. It's, it's a very mild help. <laughs> well, we heard from a bunch of you guys this week. Not so much uh, hair-related discussion, though we did have some memorable bald people on, on Breaking Bad this week. There's going to be lots of Breaking Bad talk at the uh, end, end of the podcast. We are not spotlighting the show this week, but there will, as, as you stated earlier, there will be plenty of Breaking Bad discussion. At the DVD shelf, though, we will be talking Rome with Gabe Busco from Masterpiece Cinema, who dropped by. That was such a fun conversation. I, I love Rome. I I know I like Rome way more than you do, but I'm very excited for our listeners to hear it. That's the other reason I shaved my head is I want to be more Titus Polo-like. Yeah, hey, no one who could really blame that. Titus Polo is awesome. <laughs> we heard from a bunch of you guys. Um, we heard from Carl, who is still campaigning for Listener of the Year because he he designed a T-shirt for us. So he made he made uh, Televersopoly uh, for the 100th episode, and then discovered that like we we do like the anniversary thing more than the pretty numbers thing for our podcast it was like curses and so he designed a t-shirt um which was pretty cool and he got 11 out of 16 clips right for our shiny new intro and only two people tried that i that i heard from and the other was kyle who was stumped so i sent him a show list and then he got six of them but but yeah so apparently carl you are the winner of how many clips can you guess from the intro if you guys want to know what they are Drop drop us a line, theteleverse.gmail.com. I'm happy to share share it with you. But I do want to kind of leave it a bit of a puzzle for now, I think. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Uh, we are supposed to have a shiny new outro this week as well, but I'm missing a key piece from you, so it's going to have to wait. Yep, yep, not yet. It's been a long, long Labor Day weekend uh, of, of me writing stuff, which we'll get to a little later. But that should be coming in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we heard from Kyle, who, as previously mentioned, was got stumped on the intro, though. I think there were a bunch where he was, like, so close, but, you know, couldn't quite place it. The, he he voted for Ghost Shark last week in the poll, so he figured he should watch it. And then halfway through, he tweeted me to apologize. Nice. <laughs> which is pretty awesome. <laughs> um, I asked why people more, why more people that I, I know aren't watching So You Think You Can Dance, and Ken chimed in with, one, it's reality – Two, it, it, most people don't know the people who win. They aren't. They don't become famous. And three, what's what's the reward? Which apparently is about two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So that's pretty sweet. Um, and he 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 likes the shut up and perform approach. And and for the judges as well, shut up and score. He doesn't 
you know, like as much conversation or behind the scenes stuff. Uh, he's he's more into Jeopardy. And by the way, I love Jeopardy. If Jeopardy ever ever gets canceled, I look forward to our attempt to do it on the DVD shelf somehow. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I I guess I still just don't get it. Do you know anybody else who watches? Well, I guess Ricky. Ricky's a big So You Think You Can Dance fan. Uh, Ricky watches it. I don't really know any other people, so I don't uh, know. <laughs> I can't really pull the audience or anything. Yeah, let us know if you're watching. I'm curious. if Maybe I'm the only one who cares. Well, and, of course, I mean, you watch it as well. So maybe nobody listening actually watches the show or cares about our discussions of them. But uh, I'm, I'm intrigued. I think it's a great reality show. I think it's really well put together. And uh, obviously, I like it. I read that whole article about how much I like it. But um, I want to know if you guys do. Let's see, next we heard from Beth, who wished us happy anniversary, and she likes the new intro, so tip of the hat there, Simon, to you. Mario had missed the uh, the Anagon op-ed, so he wanted to thank you for bringing that up, because he went and checked it out. We'll have more to say about that, I'm sure, in our Breaking Bad section. Um, I also I was... can't imagine why. <laughs> September is uh, Best Series Finale Month in the TV section over at Sound on Sight, so I've been watching lots of finales over this past weekend and writing up a bunch of reviews, and so I was pondering what the best descriptor is for a finale, and right now I'm... I just keep coming back to satisfying that you want a finale to be satisfying. Um, and so I'm curious what you think, sir, but also I, I, I threw it out to Twitter and, and Swede wrote back and said, uh, he thinks that it should be a good example of the main qualities of the show. So sort of like a typical episode, like if you watch this show, this is what it is. And very indicative. I think, uh, what, what would you say? Uh, I mean, it depends on what kind of a show you're talking about. I mean, Law and Order. I, did you see the last episode of Law and Order? Yes, I, I did. Oh, did I did. Was... It ended with a party, and and uh, Van Buren retired because she has cancer. Was... Oh, I yeah. There you go. I, I didn't even know it got like an actual finale finale. But you know, th there are shows like Law and Order that I don't think demand, you know, a super profound last episode. Mm -hmm. You know, that you know just no. you know have the characters. They they didn't know they were getting canceled. It, yeah, the, exactly. the actress but, was leaving the show, and it just kind of worked. <laughs> right there, you go. But even if they had, like, you know, just have the characters doing their job, maybe like tip of the hat to long term fans, and boom, it's different with a show that's serialized when you've got things to pay off, uh, or if you're Battlestar Galactica or Lost, and you want to be dicks to everybody, and <laughs> that's a whole other set of circumstances. Both um, of those will be showing up at some point in September, by the way, so keep your eyes peeled. I'm writing one of them, and Randy, our other fearless leader, will be writing the other. Yeah, I have a friend who uh, was obsessed with Lost when it was on. Uh, he lives <laughs> in Montreal, and every few months, I still get myself up at about 3 or 4 in the morning and text him to just say the Lost finale, and he just flips out every time, and it's so great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We talked about that with, with Mo Ryan when she came on to talk Lost, and I still think your friend is crazy, and many of my friends are similarly crazy, but uh, just showing showing your stripes there, Simon, as a instigator. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, we also heard from uh, Beth about Last Tango in Halifax, which will be premiering on PBS this coming Sunday, so we're going to review that later in the show. And uh, Carolyn, Zach, and I talked about a little Jason Isaacs and Peter Pan and uh, how fabulous he is there. Ricky was trolling the hell out of me about Breaking <laughs> Bad. Did you read those? I did. You fell for it so good. I know, and I know he's doing it, but I'm, I just I can't. 
he's like who would be a better dinner guest skylar is way worse than hannibal and skylar's so much worse than walt oh my god i know he's doing it to me i and i just i'm willing to, i don't know i'm willing to bet that hannibal doesn't always cook with human meat like maybe he throws some pork in there every once in a while maybe some nice veal so i don't know could work no if skylar's I just don't not ask, gonna like if cut... i just don't ask and then just no no, no. Anyways, that was entertaining. If you would like to be entertained, I know Ricky's going to do this every week. And I know I'm going to fall for it every week. So feel free to follow us both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse and he's at Sound On Sight. Um, moving on, Mario and Ken, we're backing me up. Thank you, gentlemen. Much appreciated about Hannibal obviously being a worse guest to have over for dinner than Skylar. We talked a little over Winter's Son with Depayan and Randy and Keith and Ricky talked a little bit about how ending a show can be tricky and that's coming up with Breaking Bad right now. But there's usually only so many ways that it can go. So trying to do what a finale needs but 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 still be inventive or do something that hasn't been done before can be a really, really tricky thing. I know every time I don't know if it happens to you, Tim, but every time I'm writing a review and I get to the very end, either I know exactly how to end it, or I sit there and stare at the screen for way too long, typing and then deleting. And uh, Usually when I get to the end of a review or a recap, I have already spent way too much time on the other stuff, so I just uh, trot out some junk and leave it there and run away. <laughs> and now for something completely different. Yes. <laughs> very nice. Uh, let's see. We also got an email from Carl about Breaking Bad. I'm going to read out here quickly. Uh, we always appreciate getting emails from you guys. So, And if you do, we'll, we'll read them out and we'll talk about it a little bit. He says, I agree with much of your discussion, and I think that that was a great catch about Todd referring to Heisenberg as Mr. White to his cohorts. I don't agree that Walt would kill Hank or Marie and enjoy it. I, d I think the truth he still clings to, or the lie he tells himself, is that all of this can still benefit his family, and I think he includes Hank and Marie in that. His begging of Skylar to make sure the money would still go to the kids shows that to me. I think he felt the confession implicating Hank was his only play, but I do think he hoped he would not have to use it. I also wonder if he would threaten Brock over Jesse to neutralize him, similarly to what Gus Fring did with Walt's family. I also wonder if Jane will come back at all or if Brock was the sole emotional trigger. Can't wait to see how Walt and Jesse could have any relationship left, but Breaking Bad is so good at getting out of impossible situations. I have no idea how it will end, and I love it. And especially that last line there, Carl, I'm with you 100%. Especially after this episode, I, I was like, I... I have no idea what they're going to do next, and it's awesome. Uh, we'll get there. <laughs> well, what do you think? Do you think Jane's going to come back? And a lot of people are talking about that. Nope. I don't, I don't think, think it so. can, right? I feel like, especially with the Brock thing, it's just too much. It's too. It's the same beat again, but with a different character. I, it's. Eh, I don't. I don't see how or why. Yeah, well, three people were in the room. One was passed out. One was passed out and then dying, and one was Walt. And Walt's not going to tell him. No. So. Uh, I can't think of any, po even for Breaking Bad, I can't think of any possible circumstance for that to come up. Yeah, it would be great. It would be very satisfying if it did. But I just, you know, I don't really see it happening. Brian Cranston has said that in the finale, they just hug it out. So <laughs> everybody just hugs it out. Big hug, so group hug. Big hug, group hug. So, uh, yeah. Nice. 
Okay. Well, many of these issues I'm sure we will discuss, uh, especially Hank and Marie and, and Walt and all of that, who he will and won't kill um, when we get to Breaking Bad for this week. But I did want to read that out. Thank you very much for emailing, Carl. We didn't get any new iTunes ratings or reviews this week, maybe next week, but uh, we do have a lot going on at Sound and Sight. As I mentioned earlier, it is series finale month. I will be writing up, I believe, seven different shows. We have... 30, I think, set for the the month. First of you should be up right now. You should be able to go find it. I know that one of my reviews is start, is sort of kicking off the, the month today. I don't know which one it is yet, so head over to Sound on Site and check it out. Also, TIFF is, is happening and is going to be sort of taking over the website for a little bit. Yeah, uh, we had 65 reviews last year. I think we're going to try to match or top that. Uh, I've got a certain fraction to do, and I, I'm excited and afraid and uh, intimidated. And we'll see. We'll see how it goes, and we'll see how it affects my my TV viewing over the next couple of weeks. And as as 2013 continues to be the year of of sucky news, we should mention another brief uh, in memoriam. Len- Elmore Leonard passed away, and uh, in honor of that, we will there will be a Elmore Leonard sort of month, a bunch of retrospective articles looking at his films, and also we're gonna I should talk to you about this. Actually, we're gonna do some some articles about his TV adaptations or the adaptations of his work on, on television. And so that watch for that at sound and Sight as well. But obviously we're huge fans of justified here. I, I enjoyed Karen Cisco when it was on and he had a, a very unique and, and entertaining and powerful voice that will certainly be missed. Yeah. I was particularly fond of, I don't know if you saw the onion and their uh, in memoriam editorial, <laughs> where they broke every single one of his rules for writing in a paragraph. <laughs> it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. I'll have to go check that out. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, but let's let's move into our week in TV, and we're going to kick things off with the comedies. I've got a pen, pal. We put our names on Facebook. I did ask her out once. We were only kids. Last time he saw her was in 1953. Sydney. How are you? Do you want to come round tonight? Yeah. I had this fling thing. You're spoiling me. Were you really in love with me? We keep having adventures. This week in comedy, we're going to preview the season two premiere of Brickleberry. We're going to preview the first few episodes of Always Sunny in Philadelphia and The League, Last Tango in Halifax. And then we're going to talk Wilfred, Children's Hospital, and NTSF SDSUV. So a bunch of things. First, I'm going to kick off with Brickleberry because that was put up on the Comedy Central press site and I had access to it, so I watched it. I had not seen any of season one. And uh, this is called Miracle Lake. If you like Brickleberry, I'm assuming... This is very much in keeping with their their normal c- c- comedic voice. From what what I've seen of the the commercials and the clips and things, it, it feels very in, in line with them. There's some really funny stuff in here, but I can't get past some of the sexism and just I, I don't know. I just have I have it's a very sort of bro feeling comedy. At least based on this episode, there's just you know the. A, a group of people get doused in a lake and the only person whose shirt becomes see-through is the woman who's thin uh, and has, and she has a black bra on so that we can look at her boobies. And so th- just things like that, you know, I just, I don't, I have trouble overlooking that, it, you know, if, if it's not self-aware or if it doesn't have a point other than, Hey, look, there's a anatomically 
impossible woman wearing a see-through shirt and a black bra. Yay. Um, but if if you can get past that, there's some good stuff here and there's some fun, fun moments, but I, I just, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think it's a show for me. If you like Brickleberry, you'll probably like it. I was close to liking it, but anyways, let's move on to Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I've seen the first three. You have not seen any, so I will just kind of go oh, quickly. Oh, that was so harsh. <laughs> I wasn't uh. trying for harsh, but I guess, yeah, you're right. The first episode, which is premiering this week on Wednesday at FXX Against the Bridge, might I add, which seems very odd. That is a little bit odd, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it's a, a fabulous return to form. I did not realize how much I had missed that theme song when it started off. I, was like, I just went to my happy place, and it's it's a really hilarious episode. The gang broke D. And um, and then the second episode of the season, not quite as good. It, a little, it felt a little of more in keeping with the previous season than the Fat Mac season two years ago. Whereas the first and the third episode are fantastic, and I can't wait to go watch them again and to watch them with my family, uh, certain members of my family. That is, uh, and laugh our butts off. As for the league, I've seen the first two episodes and. The, they center around Andre's wedding, which is, of course, how the previous season ended. So it picks up, you know, sort of from there. And it's just great to have the gang back again. And uh, again, very consistent comedic voice. And it, it was such a smart call to to really launch FXX with It's Always Sunny and The League because they're both right in their comfort zone and they both have very strong premieres. So I, I have a feeling they should be getting really great reviews and lots of positive buzz. And everybody who tunes in should be very happy. Fair enough. So, Except for me, because I'll watch it knowing that you beat me to it. You yeah, jerk. yeah, I did. Next up is Last Tango in Halifax, which, as we mentioned earlier, is premiering on PBS this Sunday. It already aired in the UK, but is you know there's always a bit of a delay for the British shows that make it over to PBS. I have seen just the first episode. You? Yes, the same. The same. And there are six in this in the series. And I have to thank Beth, our listener Beth, because I would not have heard of this show. I would not have checked it out. And I would not have loved it if it weren't for Beth recommending it to us a few times. So, Beth, thank you very much. I had a lot of fun with this. It's just the sweetest. It, and the week right after we talked about the number one ladies detective agency and how much I'm missing optimistic, happy television. It's wonderful to find a show that has that and and yet doesn't feel treacly, doesn't feel um, the, the, the warm nougaty center doesn't feel unearned or false because uh, there's enough tragedy in there or, dark, you know, or less than happy situations to kind of balance it out. I, don't, I loved it. What did you think? Well, maybe we should tell people what it's about because I feel like no one will know what this is. That is a good point. Because I wouldn't have. It, it stars Anne Reed and then Sir Derek J- Jacoby? Jacoby? Is he a sir? He's a sir. Yes. Oh, he's he's not listed as sir in the credits. Well, that's because he doesn't go by sir, but he is. Oh, it's a stealth enough. sir. Anyway, so they were, were childhood sweethearts and circumstances sort of put, pulled them apart. And now 60 some odd years later, they reconnect. And after. Okay. Well, hold on. It's been 53 years. They rounded to 60. Apparently okay. A bunch of times, but, and they weren't childhood sweethearts. They were like adolescent sweethearts. So like, it's not that creepy. Um, but I don't feel like a difference. I don't feel like there's a difference. Okay. Okay. Whatever. Anyways, high school, middle school, sweethearts. I've always found the concept of childhood sweethearts a little weird. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so they, yeah, they're, they 
fate separates them and then they reunite through the magic of Facebook. This whole show is secretly like kind of a Facebook ad. Which <laughs> hopefully that doesn't bother you. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Uh, for the most part, it is. Uh, it's a very sunny series. Uh, the strange thing about it is we had some some talk about whether we should put this in comedy or drama because I feel like the A plot, like the very clear A plot of the show is more of a comedy. Mm-hmm. And then some of the B and C plots are quite dramatic. You know, there's this whole... I think quite strange subplot about uh, Jacoby's daughter and whether or not she killed. We we assume not, but you know who knows. Ah, there's a um, glance there that could be significant or could be nothing. Yeah, but still, like it, there's this very dramatic subplot involving mm-hmm. possible past murder, which is like what? Yeah. Um. So I don't feel like all those plots necessarily tonally work together, uh, and some of them just don't interest me, like the the thing with the with the supermarket customer affair thing. I'm not sure I care about that. Uh, but some of the other plots are more interesting. And obviously, um, Jacoby and Reed are uh, lovely together and all their scenes work. They're fantastic. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if I needed to skip right to what the last scene skips to, but it, it was the romantic comedy thing to do, I suppose. Well, it also, that felt very honest to me based on people I know who are are in their their 70s in their 80s and starting a new relationship i tend uh with the people that i know who fit that category which is a small subset let's be honest but it tends to be sort of a we have we're we're six we're 60 70 80 years old we we don't want to mess around you know so just kind of jump in and that that works for me yeah, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely a, a total change of pace from virtually everything else we talk about. <laughs> uh, there were a, a couple good little uh, little uh, little chuckles. I wouldn't say it's a belly laugh show. I will say I'm not fond of the hyper whimsical scoring, with the <laughs> pizzicato strings and the wind chimes and the ukulele. Like, okay, we get it. We get it. It's cute. We know we're watching the show. We know that. We don't need you telling us that orally every 30 seconds but you know other than that i i think it's it, you're pretty much right on the money yeah check it out this sunday on pbs i did a google search for last tango in halifax review and one that wasn't british came up so i don't know anybody else who's really talking about this right now but it is absolutely worth your time and, and i was so relieved to find out it wasn't said in my hometown <laughs> Yes, Halifax in the UK, uh, not not in Canada. Let's move on to our more regularly featured comedies. We have Wilfred and Heroism. Right, yes, where, you know, that happened. Uh, it's I have a hard time with, with Wilfred uh, over this whole thing with Ryan and Jenna because I, I, I read some people saying, oh, but didn't they resolve this already? And no. Well, not exactly. No, they didn't. Really, I mean, Ryan just sort of decided mm-hmm. that he was not going to do anything about it, and they left it there. And we followed some other stuff for a while, which also didn't really go anywhere. But whatever. Uh, so, I, 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 there is some truth to this idea of, you know, deciding that you've gonna, you're, that you're going to resolve something just by ignoring it or putting mm-hmm. it away is not actually a solution. Yeah. Uh, so I respect that they they went there with that, and also just how the way the whole plot is so tiresome and has been dragging on so long i also like 
I I don't think it makes good television. Don't get me wrong, but there is some truth to that. Like especially with with Ryan's sort of personality. So I, I'm kind of in my head mapping out a way they could have done that better, so that we would actually care about them. Because I do think there is some truth and honesty there. Uh, but yeah, it it wasn't fun to watch that happen again. I don't think. No, it really wasn't. And for if if you're listening to this point and haven't skipped forward to the next chapter, I'm assuming you know what we're talking about. Jenna kisses Ryan, and obviously he kisses her right back. And uh, yeah, there's. <laughs> I think they did a good job of playing up her insecurity and and the issues that she's dealing with right now. But with this this whole Ryan and Jenna thing, it feels like such a dead horse that I don't I don't know what kind of shoes they're trying to beat that leather into a shape for but uh but damn it you you're right it is, you're 100% right it is very accurate and honest this notion that just because I'm not going to have a crush on this person anymore cuz yeah cuz cuz will power <laughs> yeah. that that almost never works as I think probably nope. everybody listening is probably aware of, but that doesn't mean that it makes interesting television. And uh, and there's a difference between honest and honest and worth making a TV show about. And uh, and some and for me because this is such a tired cliche, and because I feel like the show wants us to be invested in them, and I'm not. I'm like negative invested in them. Uh, that that's really hampering my enjoyment of the storyline. So every time they go back to the well with that, I just kind of groan. As everybody who is a anybody who would was a friend of Ryan's would groan as soon as he started talking about her again. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that it would help if we knew Jenna better as a character and not yes. just as like a person that's a an obstacle in Ryan's life. Like this week, it's actually good when we get like a huge dose of her insecurity, and she's kind of a screw up. Like she's. Mm -hmm. She's just, like, she's all over the place, and she's, like, super paranoid for apparently no good reason, and, like, if, I kind of wish that we just had more of that the whole time, so, like, obviously, we, we might not like her as a person all the time, but at least we would know her somewhat, and she's not just the pretty girl who lives next door and owns Wilfred, mm -hmm. uh, so that would have been... That would have been nice and a better way to handle it. But I almost don't feel like beating it up, uh, beating up on it too much because I feel like there's probably only one episode left. <laughs> we'll see what they what they do next episode. And there there hasn't been a pickup, but last year they were really late to pick it up as well. So that doesn't necessarily mean anything. We'll... No, but their numbers have been apparently like steadily downwards pretty much since it started. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Let's we'll see. let's move on to Children's Hospital and NTSFSD SUV. Children's the gang gets sushi. Um, Aaron Hayes becomes a master impressionist. Master impressionist, yes, with uh, the help of Jordan Peele. With the yes, thank you. With the help of Jordan Peele, I always try to remember which one's key, which one's Peele. Um, yeah, I way preferred this to NTSF this week. I actually, um, <laughs> I no 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 slight to Time Angels, uh, but uh, definitely my my preferred of the two. Uh, all the impressions were great and horrible and great. Uh, I, I, for some reason, Ken Marino's face of just like, of like pure blissful acceptance at the end for 15 seconds or however long it was on the screen just killed me. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was actually, I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum here. I always love, uh, when Jordan Peele shows up somewhere, seriously, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele have been killing it with guest spots this past like month or two. Every time they show up somewhere, they're hilarious, but I just, I, the impressions were very well thought out. I very much enjoyed them. 
However, oh, come on. the impressions training sequence was so good. Yeah, the marbles and everything, and like the Julia Child with the marbles was perfect. But it just <laughs> didn't stick with me the way that Time Angels did, and maybe that's because it's just so horribly, obviously terrible. You know, that's that's what they're going for with the Great Train Stoppery, and every time they bring back the Time Angels, like, I feel like once per season is a good dose of Time Angels. That's all you need. But I mean, I really enjoyed all of the. But I'm the smart one, and uh, and Eliza Dushku and Jamie Mays. I do not know the third actress's name. And I felt bad the whole time. I was like, I feel like I should know who she is because I know who the other two are. But I, yeah, that's always confusing. Yeah. Well, and it's nice to see Dushku letting loose for once. And... Yeah. Not being an uptight psych- psycho or something like that, or <laughs> any of the other things that she's done, um, or sort of, a clone. And, well, and and parodying her image as like bland tough girl, sort of. Yeah, and that, you know, yeah, it's really th- fun. That aspect was fun in like a meta way. I think I would have enjoyed it more had we gotten some like this the, the the idea of it as a framing device where we only get the regular cast at the beginning and the end. Like it was a little bit of a distraction for me. I would have way preferred to have the time angels interact with. Martin Starr and Karen Gillan and the mm-hmm. gang. Um, so that was a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, I feel like Crazy Daisy could have made a good fit with the Time Angels. Yeah, well, that's almost a no-brainer. But uh, anyways, uh, so so you're giving it to Children's. I'll give it to NTSF. Any other thoughts on the two of them? Or nope. Week in Comedy? What wins your Week in Comedy? Uh, if we're counting it as a comedy, which I guess we have because I argued for it, so that's I've made my bed. I'll give it to Last Tango in Halifax, and hopefully people check it out. Yeah, definitely Last Tango in Halifax, except that Always Sunny counts for me, and they're really funny, and don't make me choose. You can choose it next week. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, the Last Tango in Halifax airs next week, too, so... Ah, uh, well, you're screwed. I'm screwed. I'm There's screwed. no way around it. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll give it to Always Sunny episode one slash three with Last Tango in Halifax, three-way tie. There's There was a lot of really good comedy for me this week, which means there will be a lot of really good comedy for you guys next week. Look out for them. But now let's take a break, come back, and talk reality. This week in reality, we had So You Think You Can Dance, Top Chef Masters, Hollywood Game Night, and The Writer's Room. I don't really have much to say about Top Chef Masters or Hollywood Game Night. It was Dirty Pool. Dirty Pool eliminating two Top Chef Masters contestants and then saying, oh, one of you can win your way back in if you're going to go on Battle of the Sous Chefs. Bullshit. Uh... You're trying to piss me off even more, Top Chef Masters, and you're succeeding. So congratulations at that. Um, but let's let's talk about the the other shows though. Uh, did you get a chance to see the writers' room? Uh, I did not. It was really fun. It was American Horror Story, and this is the last episode for them of the season. And uh, it was it was Ryan Murphy, Brad Falchuk, Tim Minear, and then Lily Rabe talking with with Jim Rash. So I I really don't I don't get the their desire to have an actor on with them. Even Brian Cranston for Breaking Bad. I was like, okay, the 
inside the actor's studio with the, very interesting talking with that character, that actor in depth about their experience and all that. Very interesting. But they would just like be talking about writer things. And then every now and again, be like, oh, yeah, there's an actor here. Ask you an actor question. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense with Cranston kind of because he's a producer at least. But mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, so the, the American Horror Story was I was expecting you to talk about Coven, but they didn't actually at all. It was all about the, pretty much the second season, a little bit about the first season. And uh, and it was it was interesting. So I, I'm just looking forward to this new season because we were talking about this a little bit earlier uh, off off mic. But the, the cast that they're putting together for Coven is just insane. And uh, Simon, what is the what is the title of the premiere this this season oh i believe the first episode is called bitchcraft yeah that just that wins that wins at titles uh so. yeah uh but i did also notice evan peters saying i think ne- uh, uh next season is shaping up to be way scarier than the previous oh so. lovely <laughs> oh god <laughs> Woo-hoo. uh this is gonna be fun <sighs> anyways let's talk about so you think you can dance which is the the, the more, more straightforward reality show of the of the week we had the top four revealed for us this week, and it, it was a rather unique week since they introduced the top 20 where there was actually no voting. So we just kind of got to watch everybody dance and nobody was going to get eliminated based on their dancing because there's going to be a separate performance finale and then a finale finale. So what did you think of the dances this week and what did you think of the elimination? Uh, we got 18 numbers this week, so uh, forgive me if it's uh, hard to keep everything straight. Uh, I was surprised to see Paul go home. That was a real failure of the Woo Girl contingent there. Yeah, clearly. Uh, I was sure it was going to be... Fiction. One of the other two. Yeah. Um, not really sure who. Uh, honestly, when I saw Aaron come out with his tap performance, I was like, oh, yeah, you're a tapper. I always forget. Uh, and that, <laughs> but it and was awesome. It, it, it was good. Um, but I kind of think that it might doom him later. Um, just because... Nobody cares about tap. Sorry, they don't. Well, um, I thought that was a really great thing that Jesse Tyler Ferguson actually mentioned this week is I'd love to see them try to do a group tap number and you'd see how yeah. much everybody else would be screwed. Yeah, yeah, that was great. And Jesse Tyler Ferguson was great throughout in oh, general. Wonderful. The um, little Jepson jab there. Little Jepson jab here, a little Miley jab there from Nigel. Uh, and then no jabs at all from Mary, which was apropos. Try to think of what the absolute. I, I think that probably my favorite of the hour was uh, Amy's Bollywood number. Yeah, which was intense. That was that was great. Uh, a lot of others were kind of fell flat one way or another. Um, Jasmine's routine about the hurricanes was ill conceived. At best, well danced, but I mean, and as soon as the that narration came on over, it was like, oh God, Tice. You're just taking it straight to pretension land. If they'd only done the intro narration, I would have been like, but then he came, he had to do some voiceover at the end as well, which was just too much. Yeah, it was, yeah. It clearly was meaningful to to the judges because they did the whole uh, standing ovation. But honestly, I wonder how much that is like, they feel like they have to because it's like climate change. Yeah, yeah, that, that whole thing rubbed me the wrong way. Wasn't crazy about, uh, Aaron and like the the whole mirror lady in the mirror routine mm-hmm. was like, oh I, oh but that like over one eighty leg like what what yeah, is yeah, that? yeah yeah that was that cool was ridiculous but... 
I just feel like sometimes they try to load too many ideas into a 90-second dance routine. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, pare it down, boys. And even just brighter costuming would have helped for that that one with me. Like, because it, it was a the pale uh, purple with the silver, you know, because they're going for that mirror thing a little too on the nose, it, it didn't feel like, it felt like the dance was more suited to bolder colors and bolder statements and so then that was sort of lost on me a little bit but uh yeah i would yeah. i'm 100 with you that bollywood number was amazing and you could see you know they, they i think one of my favorite all-stars is alex um and they, they bring him in for the the some of the best numbers last year of course he danced with eliana and that very memorable that that she was in the red dress and there was the tree it was a gorgeous contemporary number and that's the one that really put her over the top and i think was in a big way responsible for her winning then then this week with the bollywood number it was just just crazy yeah it was so fun and uh i mean it was probably that and i know that we know that fiction solos are going to be ridiculous but that was extra ridiculous well yeah and it was it was different because his solo last week or the last time he soloed that is you could see him pulling some of his favorite like he loves to do like the you know, copper tone baby face while he shakes his butt. You know, like there's certain moves that he goes to every time. And the first time it's funny and the second time it's funny. And the third time it's like, oh, don't, you don't have any other ideas. And this one actually did. And and I the most impressive thing for me with him is always his chest isolations. Like just they're so powerful. It's just ridiculous. I you know, forget just how tiny he is. And, you know, until he's doing some of those motions. Haley did the, the boxing number, which I actually thought was was I thought she was really good. And it really showed her actor you know because like a lot of the other people may may not have pulled off but like i bought her tough face you didn't Eh, not really maybe it's just maybe it was just the combination of of those two dancers and she was just so tiny by comparison and that's true and like which is you know not fair but it's kind of like just the framing of those two dancers didn't really work for me her you know her facial stuff was all right but the whole thing just felt kind of phony yeah, it was nice to have um, to have Aaron and Jasmine and Amy and Fiction dancing together again before the finale. Although, I have to say, the Aaron and Melanie number was not as good as I was hoping. No, there was that. That was choreography. I thought I liked the song. I liked the 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 concept, and I liked the costuming and hair and makeup and all of that stuff. But after a while, it felt like it just kind of turned into, and now you kick again, and then there's another kick, and. And it didn't seem like there was enough there. Um, so, yeah, I was I thought it was well executed. But again, like the like the climate change one, I, I felt like they got left let down a little bit by their choreography. Yeah, that was too bad. That was too bad. I don't think it's a coincidence that our final four are the two pairs who meshed really quickly and really well in the competition and so viewers got invested in that pairing. I mean, I, I think of like if Haley had been paired with Nico. At, you know, from the very beginning or, or Paul or somebody else, I wonder, you know, if we would be in the same situation with our final four. But, you know, it just shows you how much of an influence that early decision by the judges, which is kind of random, you know, how, how big of an effect that can have. So I'm curious to see who they'll bring on. Paula Abdul. Oh, will they? Yeah, for the next two weeks. Next uh... week is also uh, uh, Gabby, the Gabby Douglas, the Olympian. Uh, and there's no Christina Applegate, unless it's a surprise, but that's what my DVR is telling me. So Paula Abdul this week and next week, Gabby Douglas this week. And Paula Abdul was useless. She was useless on the show. She's, she's not so good. 
Uh, she's not Jepsen useless, but she's pretty useless. Yeah, the, the show's apparently really struggling for viewers, so I think that's why they're doing it. And I understand that, but I would be, I'd be like, yes, fine, have Paula Abdul there, and then have Christina Applegate there to really be the guest judge. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Anyways. hopefully, hopefully that won't be too much of a bother. For me, the weekend reality goes to so you think you can dance. For you, the weekend reality goes to so you think you can must. dance. Yes, because that's the only one you watched. <laughs> So now we'll take a break, listen to some music, and come back with our week in drama. Meet my friend, she's a pet. It's a funny little cat. Hello Kitty is her name. She will drive you along the way. Got a ribbon on her head. Guess the color, it is red. Don't you worry, just jump on board. She will take you around the world. Hello Kitty, I'm with you. Hello Kitty, I'm with you. Want to fly in a balloon? Want to fly in a balloon? Hello Kitty is my friend. Hello Kitty is my friend. We will play and never end. We will play and never end. This week in drama, we have our final installment of Nine for Nine, branded Make Kate Watch the Continuum Season Two Finale Second Time, The Bridge Vendetta, Broadchurch ep- Episode Four, and Breaking Bad Rabid Dog. First, the final Nine for Nine, branded this was all about advertisements and sponsorship of female athletes and how very often female athletes who are looking for endorsements and ads end up having to choose between one of two categories, which is the non-threatening girl next door. Isn't she just so sweet and adorable and very, very wholesome? Or isn't she hot and sexy and we don't really care if she can play her sport uh, sort of thing. And and then, then the women who go that route get, get accused of, of cashing in on their looks rather than their talent, despite how nationally ranked they are. It, It was actually sort of interesting to hear women from each category talk about it. And then also advertisers and different people, sports journalists and, you know, people with very different approaches. It it was, it was pretty interesting though. Not one of the absolute highlights of the season. I'm going to miss nine for nine. I wish they had done better. I think they're capable of better, but I don't feel like you should have to do a nine for nine in order to tell stories about female athletes. And yet it seems that's pretty much the only way for it to happen right now on ESPN. So I'm hoping that this next season of 30 for 30 will have more balance, shall we say. Um, But we'll have to wait and see about that. We have the Make Kate Watch winner, which was continuing. It was a landslide, by the way. Just it trounced everything else. And I've seen three episodes of continuing. I've seen the series premiere, the pilot. I've seen the season two premiere. And now I've seen the season two finale. So I was very confused watching this. <laughs> There's a lot of time travel. And I could, because I had seen some things, I was connecting. There were, there were exact duplicates duplicate shots because of time travel in this finale that were also in the season one premiere and then also in the season two premiere. So I could like recognize certain scenes and go, wait a second. That means that, you know, it's always fun for me when you're watching a show that you're unfamiliar with, but you're kind of jumping into the middle and there's some like, yes, father, dramatic music. And you're like, okay, clearly that means something. You know, like they show somebody's face and the music gets all spooky and you're like, that means nothing to me. So it it was an interesting experience for that reason. But damn it, they hooked me. I'm intrigued. 
and and after watching the first season premiere and the second season premiere, I was not. I was not on board. It did not seem interesting, and and the writing was not good enough for me to you know want to jump in despite liking the the lead liking some of the characters but with where they are now i i'm very intrigued so please let me know if if you're a continuum watcher let me know what i need to watch to get caught up so that i can understand the the season two finale and jump in with season three because i don't know that i want to watch the show figure itself out for two full seasons like i I hear that the second season really kicked it up a notch so let me know which episodes i need to see or if i really do have to watch them all because i think for next season i think i do want to get on board so i assume you haven't seen any continuum no, but you did just give me an idea for a time travel show where the episodes are deliberately scripted, shot, and aired completely out of order. Ooh, that's intriguing. Right? Okay. Yeah, that could be fun. I could, I'd watch that. Totally. <laughs> well, I'd be frustrated the entire time, but that would be the point. Yes, yes. <laughs> Next, we have The Bridge and Vendetta. Speaking of, we had the dramatic reveal of what Eric Lang has been doing on the show this whole time (laughs) precisely and uh i i was watching this because of course i I reviewed it this week at sun on site you can read my review in the tv section there and as i was watching it i was taking notes and i started shaking my head at the end i was like simon called it like in the pilot called it in episode two it's just a countdown of time until marco's wife is in mortal peril and it happened this week yeah, well, I mean, she's not dead yet. Uh, yet. 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 Uh, being the operative word. I was actually okay with the reveal. I I think it's A. I think the most important thing about it is that it happened now and not in episode 12. Yeah. Uh, thank the goddamn heavens for that. So it, we've it, got... It, it should have happened, like, episode 3, episode 4, but... um, Maybe. I don't know. But I'm certainly much happier with it here than at the very end or whatever. Or or you could do it the killing style and do it in like the second to last episode of season two. <laughs> so so wait, has 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 Marco never gone to visit his wife at work? I apparently not. He's a little busy, you know, trying to put together bodies and stuff. Uh or c- cartel collusion or whatever. But uh, <laughs> I mean I was I was in general okay with the reveal. I think the main issue going forward for, with the bridge, it's always issues going forward for me. It's not issues in the episodes. How are they going to make it so that that character being the beast is kosher with uh, all the political stuff and not just have it be a personal thing? And then because that just gives me a headache trying to figure out why he would have done it like that. See, uh, but, but but Simon, all of the interesting socio-political commentary was a red herring. Oh, oh God, if they do that, I'm going to be really, really annoyed. That's really um, what it seems like right now. I know, I know. And that's the thing with the bridge is we can never tell. We're, we, we have yet to make the definitive conclusion. Is this what it seems like or are they doing something more interesting? And well, it explains how they took a show with a completely geopolitical context and put it here and are keeping it similar. They introduced you interesting geopolitical context and then it doesn't matter so it can go away well i don't know if that's true because if that were true we wouldn't be following the cartel around uh we wouldn't have the whole to mexico i mean i feel like those elements are still present not necessarily in the a plot going forward maybe apparently we don't know but (laughs) i don't know i don't don't feel feel like like there's commentary i feel like it's just uh, there's a bad guy and he's from a cartel i don't know 
Uh, well, well. Anyway, we'll we'll again with with we'll the see. bridge. There's always a freaking asterisk. Uh, but um, I'm trying to think of what else happened in this episode besides the reveal. Charlotte continued to be the most useless and least interesting person ever. And Bobby Cobb's an idiot. Ray's an idiot. You don't put a you know you don't get like a wheelie or something to carry those guns. <laughs> a dolly, yeah. something. I still really dig Ray and Bobby Cobb on the show. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep calling him that. Um. <laughs> And uh, trying to think of, I seriously, I'm really having a difficult time remembering stuff that wasn't the reveal. Well, there was uh, there was a nice conversation with with Gus. You got the killer. Great, your marriage is ruined. Well done. Oh yes, yeah. There were a few really good scenes this week. I I, I love that scene with with uh, with Marco's son. I also really liked Daniel's pantalones. The opening scene. Oh yes, yeah. Which which really took me a long time to figure out was a flashback. Uh, <laughs> I was very confused about that. Oh, relapse. That's sad. I was like, wait a second. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so th- that that was uh, actually quite nice. Uh, and also the scene with, where uh, where Sonia is called the village idiot savant and everyone gets a nice reaction, reaction moment. Yeah. That was a really nicely played moment. Well, and um, that led to that beautiful scene with her and Gus. And I want to know how old Gus is supposed to be because he's in school, but he could be in college. They said the actor doesn't look like he's a teenager, so I'm con- I'm confused as to how old he is. So I'm confused if it's okay for me to root for him to maybe get a kiss or something. Obviously, nothing's gonna happen there, but you know. Uh, yeah, he's he's the R.J. Mitty of the bridge. We're never quite sure how old he's supposed to be, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't matter because he'll be dead in a few episodes. Uh, well, I don't know about him, but definitely his mom. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, his stepmom. Anyway, um, but yeah, I don't know. Again. We're just going to have to wait and see with the bridge. But there's still a lot of stuff to like, I think. It's just a matter of how frustrated are you going to let yourself get when certain things don't pan out in necessarily the totally perfect ideal fashion. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see. I, I really want to be wrong about that whole dropping the subtext element. Uh, and we'll, we'll have more to say next week, I'm sure. But let's move on to Broadchurch episode four. This had some nice, interesting character development with David Bradley's character. Uh, my note here when I was watching this seems pretty clear he isn't involved. It's episode four, uh, which is the trouble with a show like this. It is absolutely the trouble. And I, despite David Bradley being great, I was bored with the whole idea of trying to implicate Jack as the killer because it's so obvious. Like, it actually has a worse problem with this than the bridge does, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we're just, it we're so schematically from one episode to the next, moving from this suspect we know is not him, or not, at least not directly. This other suspect, in this case, we know is definitely not him at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. And and you know, we're getting hints about other characters along the way, and uh, you know, to borrow a, a, a to borrow a, a Simpsons saying, you know, we just want to get to the freaking fireworks factory like, <laughs> soon, and it's only like what eight episodes? Eight long? episodes, yes. So, yeah, we're halfway through. It's like, and I, I'm already dreading the fact that I feel like it's going to take another two or three episodes at least before we have someone definitive. And I'm like, uh, which is too bad because there are a lot of really nice scenes. Obviously, the stuff with Coleman and Tennant is still really good. Although I feel like it, it maybe took, again, an episode or two too long to get to that dinner scene. Yeah, but I, I love that dinner scene, though. And, and not even just the dinner, which was so much fun, but the her asking him to come over for dinner with yeah. her family was was hilarious and felt very honest to both of those people 
And it just, I thought it was a lot of fun. My other note that I have, predictable, but good execution, pulls it off, and I loved the dinner. I really hope that whatever the next thing Jodie Whittaker gets to do, it's more fun than this, because, my God, it's just one misery parade for her, for, for, for from what I've seen, everything so far. I'm not going to say no. <laughs> okay. Mum. Mum's the word. Any other thoughts on Broadchurch? Any predictions? Uh, no, I predict a whole lot more misery, and I predict also that we're going to find out who the killer is and why. Aren't I brilliant? You're you're just a sparkling genius, sir. That's what they're paying me the big bucks for. <laughs> Let's move on to Breaking Bad and Rabid Dog, which was the first, I guess, down episode, in a way, of this season. In, in the context of the first three weeks of this half season, episode four... Felt a little like a little bit more of a breather, uh, but that being said, it was still an episode where a lot happened. We had some very interesting character choices, and I just I I love Betsy Brandt so much. And <laughs> we had another great scene with her this week. What what did you think of Rabbit Dog? Uh, well, to get to Betsy Brandt, when that conversation with her therapist starts, I was thinking, why are we seeing this? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the point of this scene? And it takes a couple minutes to get to the point. And then when she gets to that last beat and she's like, it feels so good to think about. <laughs> yes, that's why we were watching this scene, because Bessie Brand is awesome. And Marie is so much more awesome as a character this season than she's gotten to be in a very long time. So, I mean, she's always been cool, but she's just been awesome lately. So good for her. Not too many characters get upgrades this late in a show. Um, it was a very good episode. I don't think any of these episodes are going to be less than very good with the, with the momentum they're building. If they are, I'll be shocked. Um my favorite scene in this episode was definitely Jesse trying to explain, trying and apparently failing to explain to Hank <laughs> what Walt is. And uh, I, I, there's a reason I opened my written review with this quote when he says, you know, he's smarter than you. He's luckier than you. To me, the second part of that is so much more important because mm -hmm. they live in a universe that seems to have bended to Walter White's will. And I was thinking a lot about what that would do to these characters when they come to that realization. And obviously it's it's turned Hank into just this hard, almost difficult to watch person. Because I, to me, the the saddest moment of the episode is when you realize that Hank is just going to use, uh, has no interest in keeping Jesse even alive if it's going to help him make his case. Uh, I'll be curious to see if they soften that at all before the show's over. But uh, that that was pretty harsh. I thought. And I've seen that many places. And obviously we have a very close relationship with Jesse, having watched him for so many years. And Aaron Paul is just so amazing in that role. But that does not seem like an odd thing to me at all. And uh, I don't know. what. I wouldn't call it odd. I wouldn't call it odd. It's that just seems that... normal to me. It seems normal to you that he would recklessly put a key witness in danger with that, like not really caring. Well, it's the thing. I don't think he's, he's grasping at straws right now, but I, he, he has no relationship with this person. He has no reason to think that Jesse's going to actually stick around and be there. His, the, the tape that he has him on tape, but that tape is very likely not admissible or not useful in any way because it can get thrown out for any of a number of reasons in court so i just uh, hank having 
no respect for or consideration for Jesse to me makes sense. A lot of people were complaining about Skylar, bashing Skylar, because she's all like, you should kill Jesse. Skylar doesn't know Jesse. Skylar, Jesse's a person who tried to light her house on fire, that her baby could have been, you know, asleep. She and her baby could have been asleep in the other room and she could have died. You know, so, of course, Skylar, you know, obviously this is a big moment for her where she, she doesn't. Breaks you know, bad. She, she, she doesn't, she doesn't break bad, though. That happened a while ago. It yeah, wasn't. She breaks is, worse. Yeah, but, and I don't think she's wrong. Really, you, how many people have you killed? At this yeah. point, you know, like if if she goes, no, you 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 can't kill Jesse because no, I be I I, I agree with you about Skylar. I mean, I and to some degree about Hank, I suppose. I feel like, but I feel like it's more significant for Hank to say to say that he doesn't care if Jesse lives or dies than it is for Skylar to say kill Jesse. Does that make sense? Because, yeah. Because to to me, she's just like she's got a drink in her hand. When when he asks her, "Are you drunk? How much have you had to drink?" I knew the response was going to be not nearly enough because it's the correct answer. Yeah. Um, so like it, she's so far gone that like mm. it make you know there's nothing shocking about what she says whatsoever. But Hank's statement was a little bit shocking because okay. we I feel like we've been rooting for Hank for a couple seasons now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess some people have been doing it the whole time, but I haven't. It's really just in the last. You know, since probably a little before uh, he got shot a bunch of times. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, ever since then, he's really been the show's de facto hero. So to have him now starting to show this, 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 these strains of being less sympathetic is, uh, it's a rough move. Well, except that I don't, I mean, he's kind of always been that, right? When did he become cuddly? There's a difference. Okay. I think there's a difference between, <laughs> uh, like, Remind me, but when he beat the the shit out of Jesse, yeah, that was after he got the phone call about Marie, right? Yes, right. So that's like a rash impulse move that was directed at the wrong person, but whatever. Um, but to me, his actions towards Jesse this week are more calculated. The work of someone who's just who's colder and harder than he was even a couple seasons ago, which was you know six months ago or whatever it was in real time. I guess it just doesn't surprise me to see a law enforcement person dealing with an informant and not liking the person, not caring about the person, not respecting the person, See, but I only ag- using them because they have to. I uh, The using part, sure, but I would agree with you, But he, except for the fact that he's not uninformant. He's the only informant. If it weren't for Jesse, I mean, he's still got okay. almost no case, but he would really have no case whatsoever. I so suppose. I kind, I kind of feel like... It's it's a wee bit harsh, uh, but maybe that's enough on that subject. Uh, yeah. Any, I, let us know what you think, gentle listeners. I have a feeling they're with you. I am boggled. I'm trying to think of what on earth Jesse means by his closing threat in the episode. I have an idea. The lab? Uh, no, there's no lab. I, that's the only thing that makes any sense. Except the, the lab's destroyed. Well, not that lab, but, you know, his reputation as Heisenberg, right? That's what matters to him the most. Uh, maybe. Uh, I was thinking the only thing that I think makes sense. Uh, I mean, it doesn't really make sense with what he said, but I think uh, if he were to expose Walt's identity to Walt Jr., that would be pretty major. Uh, 
Yes. Since he's since he's always claimed you did it for the family. If, yeah. Well, uh, that is, yeah. by the way, that is bullshit. He did not do it for the family. He did it for himself. He's a narcissistic egomaniac. We're we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there <laughs> uh, to to what Walt is. Uh, but that's the only thing I can figure out because because he doesn't know where the money is. He can't destroy the money. Uh, and the only piece of evidence knowing showing where the money is is the lottery ticket. So if you, and, he, and Jesse's not the sort to figure that sort of thing out. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's my only it's my only good theory, really. Yeah, when he says I'm gonna burn down your real home, though, I feel like that's Jesse saying I understand that you care about your drug empire way more than your family. So while I do want to see that scene, any scene really with Jesse and, and Walt Jr., I don't, and that would be devastating. Carl actually specifically tweeted out that that was the one thing he like doesn't think he can take if they do on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's got to be something where he is going to ruin Walt's reputation or something. He's going to take his Heisenberg or something, I don't know, away from him. I, what do you think? Uh, I think it's entirely plausible that if he can get Hank behind the idea, if he were to out himself as Heisenberg and then draw Walt out as a result, maybe get him cooking again, uh, thus bringing Lydia back into the fold, I could see that working. It would serve the dual purpose of Jesse would obviously have to go to jail, which I think (laughs) he'd be totally up for because he clearly isn't cut out for the outside world and he's ready, willing, and able to do his penance uh, and also screw Walt in the process. So that could be good. Um, But I'm not sure if he would be able to get Hank behind that in a Hank and Gomi, I should mention (laughs) in a, in a convincing way, especially since he might not, he might not make the most, uh, you know, he's, uh, whether or not they'll do this, he should be going through withdrawal pretty soon if he's not mm-hmm. uh, getting his drugs. So then will he make a convincing yeah. Eisenberg? I don't know. But it's one idea. Well, yeah, that's the trouble with this. Is there any idea that makes sense to me as as something Jesse would, would think of and that would really affect Walt? I can't... And, and that Hank would go with. Well, that's the thing. I can't see that would be useful to to Hank. So, like, if Jesse goes and like to the criminal community is all like i'm heisenberg bitches uh and and or somehow ruins the heisenberg name or or co-ops it or something i don't necessarily see how that helps hank but you're right if 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 that i mean that would totally draw walt out so maybe it could help hank if he feels that jesse is someone that he can go to the dea with Mm. more readily than walt yeah as as heisenberg okay yeah so he gets to solve the case and be the big man while also screwing with Walt, who would eventually come out in some other way. Okay, that's interesting. Well, and then, of course, if they do that in this next episode, we know that Heisenberg ends up on Walt's wall. So that's really right. intriguing as well. I'm liking this idea more, but I'm still not... It still could be anything. There's there's a few holes with it, but I'm 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 feeling pretty good about it. Okay, okay. Another thing we got to make sure to mention is... Old Yeller, because that was awesome. <laughs> I haven't actually seen Old Yeller, so I I know that he dies at the end, but I didn't know the specifics. And so just like that that scene with with Kubi and uh, and with Saul and with Walt was just fabulous. And I, I've been enjoying. Have you been seeing these ads for Belize? 
No. Yeah, the Belize Tourism has offered a, a free trip to, like, the cast of Breaking Bad. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> to get back to Walt, um, I was thinking a lot about what Hank says about how, well, he's kind of always kind of saved your ass for no particularly good reason, except mm-hmm. that he seems to like you. And that appears to bear itself out up until the final seconds when he says, screw it, we're going to kill him. Uh, but, you know, he, we have that very, I thought, fairly predictable reveal with the guy who wasn't actually there to kill yeah. Jesse. Um, uh, a little heavy-footed for them for a change, but whatever. And also more heavy-footed, very uh, obvious lighting. This seems like they're really on the nose with the lighting in the past few episodes. They're in the back of the car, or, or sorry, Saul and Kubi are in the front of the car. Huge, like, like a spotlight on them as much as can be, you know, not a spotlight. And and Walt shrouded in darkness right, in the yeah. back, you know, little on the nose, guys. A bit much. Uh, but, and so I was thinking to myself, okay, so let's say it's true that Walt really does care about Jesse and he'll do everything in his power to not He doesn't! Him. At all! Uh, but, but let's just... Okay, let's say, know, yeah. For our, for our if... sake, there is, there is a case to be made. Is it important? You know, does it really change what anything. we know about Walt or anything at all? And I think if anything, if it's true that he cares, it's only as a self-enabling device to be able to do terrible, terrible things. Because ultimately, he still has a little twinge in his heart for the wee lad. So that makes everything else okay. That's what I think. Well, That's my pop psychology. Well, the doctor's in 10 cents, right? Or 5 cents, 5 cents. But I don't think he does care about Jesse. He cares about what he wants Jesse to be or represent. Because if he cared about Jesse, he wouldn't have been manipulating him in this way for years now, destroying his life in just any number of ways because Jesse isn't the person that he wants him to be. He wants to be able to control him completely. So he does his best to break up Jesse and Jane and eventually causes her death. Well, people often try to control people they care about. But... He he causes Jane's death and then doesn't stop it because he doesn't want Jesse to leave with her and be happy. Then he he gets Jesse to break up with Epic, who I don't remember her name on the show, <laughs> Emily Rios, through manipulation. And he poisons Brock when he knows that Jesse has, like, two people in the world he cares about. I mean, he's continually trying to form Jesse into this idea of what the protege is and so it's I, I don't think he actually cares about jesse the person and hasn't for quite a while he cares about jesse the idea i only do these things because i care baby yeah yeah it's that that's that's bullshit right <laughs> everybody knows that so so when we've been yeah. talking when i'm talking with ricky on twitter and he's like well skylar doesn't care about anybody at least walt cares about jesse i'm like no you just uh, you you bait me so well it's <laughs> You're, well, you're I think so it's, good at it. Skylar probably at least cares about Holly and Walt Jr. Yeah. Uh, we think. Well, I'm not even sure about that anymore, but whatever. Um, oh, man. Anyway. Those kids then, need to get to the Schrader stat. Marie oh, needs man. to, like, take them on a vacation. By the way, that scene with Walt Jr. by poolside, very difficult to watch. <laughs> very difficult to watch. It was, I had a lot of fun watching Betsy Brand and RJ Mitty on Talking Bad this week because it's just fun to, to watch them interact out out of character. And just, to, you know, I don't see RJ Mitty popping up for interviews a lot the way that, for example, Brian Cranston or maybe Anna Gunn, but really Vince Gilligan, are, they're far more prominently interviewed. So that was that was fun. And uh, 
yeah, I keep getting distracted as much as I do really enjoy RJ Mitty and his performance as Walt Jr. And I really like Walt Jr. And I was, uh, I was so bummed that we didn't get to see a Jesse Walt Jr. scene. I was so sure that's how it was going to open. Me too. Totally. Uh, though the Marie and Jesse scene was awesome. I, lo- I love Marie. Uh, but the... The whole age thing is it's so tricky for me. And because they're they're trying to clothe him and shoot him and hair and makeup him to still look 14, the age he was when he started filming this show that is set over the span of a year and a half, you know, it's, it really does become kind of problematic for me. So I'm just trying to do my best to, to ignore that element of it, but it's affecting the performance to a level because it's just so unbelievable to me. I don't know. So I, I think I that's one of those things where I know that I'm wrong and I need to right. just deal with it. Well, but. that's one of the perils of expanding a year and a half of story time over five years, six years, actually, of television. Yeah. Yeah. Just 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 a bit. Uh, we also have to mention the music, which was fantastic this week. As always. Oh, man. So, so good. Lots of really great camera work from from the director, who I believe is one of the writers was the first time director. Uh, Sam Catlin wrote and directed the episode. Yeah, excellent job. And I wanted to mention Marie's shirt she was wearing, because I'm I, sure this is just me mad trying to mad style things, but it it's it felt very much like armor to me, because it was kind of shiny and had like that the V, kind of like the diagonal slant that you'll see on chest plates sometimes and stuff so i th- I really enjoyed that and uh i'm i'm watching for the colors now do you watch for the colors since they put up that color palette thing uh no but i do enjoy the internet train spotting that happens every single week with every single detail of this show uh for instance deadwood deadwood uh which <laughs> again every time any show does something like that i go into this like wormhole but if he owns deadwood then you have a and again anyway um <laughs> i try not to think about it uh, but um, uh, but I, I just love people on the internet picking up on things that I would never think about, like Jesse holding that DEA mug mm-hmm. in a way that makes it seem like the, it might say dead instead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, things like that, I really appreciate. Uh, little bits of, I hope they're doing it on purpose. I really, really hope they're doing it on purpose just to mess with people. Oh, um, I believe it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's It's totally dastardly, and you're right. I'm absolutely flummoxed about except for my potential kind of theory, what on earth Jesse has come up with. Uh, the only thing that I can think is that warning uh, Walt at all was probably, or threatening Walt was probably a dumb move. Because uh, mm-hmm. I feel like Walt might actually figure it out before we do. So, uh, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Uh, there was the other, I mean, other thing I will mention, I loved the uh, the Babylon 5 shout out. Yes. That's- Maybe. And did you notice they called him Beaver just like you did? Yeah, they did. They did. Beaver, no badge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So a lot of fun this week with Breaking Bad. Looking forward to the second half of the second half of the last season. And uh, we're going to have to figure something out because that end of season wrap up, and which is also supposed to be a DVD shelf for the whole series with Ricky, that's going to have to be like a separate thing because we're going to talk for at least an hour. Uh, yes, yes, we are. And it, it's mostly going to be you two yelling at each other. <laughs> yeah, you'll just be laughing at the two of us. But don't worry. I've heard from several people who want 
uh, Ricky to just be on the show every week. He's like, why, why just have him come on this week? It's, and there's a reason that we, we haven't really done that. And that's because, first of all, we're saving it for what should be a very entertaining season wrap up. But also because of when we record, it is not usually feasible to have a guest on. Um, so we would love to have Ricky on every week because we love talking Breaking Bad with him. But that is unfortunately the reality of the situation for right now. But so you'll just have to wait and, you know anticipate with the rest of us exactly just like waiting for breaking bad every week absolutely um what wins your week in drama i mm. wonder ah breaking bad breaking bad enough said our outro music is sweet petite by the bicycles you can find a post up for this at soundonsite.org where you can leave us comments let us know what you think about breaking bad or any of the other shows we talked about this week we are up in iTunes with an MP3 unchaptered feed and an M4A chaptered feed. We would love any feedback you could give us there, ratings or reviews. If you do leave a rating or review for us in another country's iTunes other than U.S., please let us know because otherwise we don't find out. And then we go, nobody left us a review. And you go, but I did. Why don't you? And it's because we don't know. And we would love to. So please drop us a line. And you can do that by emailing us at televerse at gmail.com or liking us on Facebook to follow the various uh, goings on at Sound on Sight TV, which we'll be kicking up here in the next few weeks with, with with the start of the fall TV season. You can also vote for the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll at Facebook, and there should also be an a poll at Sound on Sight TV for that as well. And then, of course, we're also both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are at Sucker Howl. And Simon, what should our question of the week be? Uh, well, since we've been talking about the writer's room, which just wrapped up its first season, I'd be curious what shows people would like more of a behind the scenes look into that they don't currently get, uh, whether in televised format or not. Okay. Good question. What, what pops to mind for you, sir? Uh, well, especially with Elmore Leonard's passing, I'm thinking Justified. Totally. Let's see. For me, you took Justified, which is an awesome pick. Um, I'll go... I'll go girls. I would love to have a writer's room with Lena Dunham and, and maybe Apatow. And, and if they bring on another actor than I guess Adam driver or somebody, I think that that could be really fun. So yeah, that's what I'll let us know your picks. Good, good question. So I'm going to be pondering that all week. Well done. But now we're going to take a break, listen to a clip and some music and come back with Gabe Busco from masterpiece cinema to talk Rome. We're here. They discussed the terms. Caesar's resignation. How will you pay your debt? All that I have is already yours. Caesar has crossed the Rubicon. No man of honor would follow him. Well, I'm no man of honor then. I need you, Varinus. We have hard fighting ahead. Hard fighting against Romans. Blood is blood. I'm a soldier, not a murderer. You cannot stay. I can do as I wish. Caesar is my brother, my sacred oath. I will never betray you. Shall I be merciful? I think not. Julius Caesar is an enemy of Rome. And he has ruined us all. Our beloved Republic is in the hands of madmen. I want him dead. And that you shall have. I am Titus Pullen. These bloody men I give to you. The ram has touched the wall. No mercy. You're on every wall with a knife at my throat. You want to rule Rome as a bloody tyrant!
We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are talking Rome. And here to help us from Masterpiece Cinema, it's Gabe Busco. Gabe, welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So why did you want to talk about Rome? Uh, well, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, and I just think it's really underappreciated. And uh, yeah, I just don't really hear it brought up very much anymore, even though, you know, the first season aired in 2005, so it hasn't even been 10 years yet since it's been, uh, since it started, and yet it, it seems to kind of have disappeared from the public consciousness, as far as I could tell. Even though you would think with the advent of HBO Go and stuff like that, that maybe people would be checking out uh, some of the lesser-known or shorter-lived HBO series, but as far as, as far as I know, you know, not a lot of people come up to me asking about it or are talking about it at least in my daily conversations. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's really strange to me because obviously, if you've anyone who's listening has checked out our Deadwood uh, DVD shelf, they know we, we love Deadwood here at the Televerse. I think Simon's like your favorite show of all time. Correct. I love Deadwood. However, uh, Rome is also very good, and so it seems like people only have place in their heart for one HBO period drama or something. And so while there are all these wonderful, wonderful shows, and of course, like The Wire has this monumental status amongst television, and there's all these other really great HBO shows that people remember and appreciate, Rome is kind of, I feel like it's the redheaded stepchild of the HBO family, and I don't get it, because I think it's a fantastic show. Well, I don't, I mean, it hasn't been consigned to the memory hole quite as badly as, oh, I don't know, Tell Me You Love Me, or something like that, but... Uh, it certainly, in terms of the ambitiousness and the scope of it, and also in terms of, and I'm going to be bringing this up a couple more times, so bear with me, also in terms of watching it, which I'd never seen it before at all, and watching it now, it seems so clear to me that it's a total dry run for Game of Thrones. I mean, it's, because of the setting, you might think it would be more, you, you might think it would be more fitting to compare it to something like Spartacus, but... I find in terms of the character dynamics and the way we perceive, uh, or rather the way the show handles uh, sort of audience sympathy and loyalty, and also, of course, in terms of the sex and violence, and there's even a lactation scene, uh, <laughs> There's it, it feels to me like, I mean, it's obviously not really how this works, but it almost fe- feels like Game of Thrones is like, oh, well, we screwed up Rome, but... We can try again, but this time there'll be dragons. <laughs> well, and instead of based on a fictional work, it's based on a historical setting. Details, details. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, you know, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about Rome, that they, they strove so hard to get the facts right when they had them. They didn't let the, they didn't let themselves be hamstrung by that. There are a few major characters that are composites as opposed to specific historical figures. But for the most part, and again, historians, correct me if I'm wrong, but the historians I've talked to and the history professors and stuff that I know all say that this is, for the most part, really accurate. And I love that it's a, at least we'll get into the specifics of it, but it's a fantastic story. It looks gorgeous. And it's also sort of like with Spartacus, the the most ridiculous things on the show are the ones that are actually the most lifted out of history. Yeah. Um, and I think that the show, I mean, uh, there are some common complaints that I've heard kind of being leveled against the show that, you know, especially in the second season when they realized that they weren't going to get more, they kind of sped everything up. I guess originally the whole Antony and Cleopatra storyline was supposed to be seasons three and four. 
something along those lines. And instead, it's condensed into the final two episodes of the show. Um, mm-hmm. But I actually kind of like that it picks up because I think that if you look, if you stand back and look at the show as these 22 episodes beginning to end, I really do think it tells a pretty complete story. And because so much of season two in the first half, especially is dealt with dealing with the falling out from uh, Caesar's death and kind of what happens to all of those conspirators and the kind of breakup of Antony and Octavian's uh, partnership and all of that. I think it does work in that way. And I think that especially Varinus and Titus Polo are such well-defined characters, so well-performed that it doesn't just feel like, you know, okay, here's these two bland protagonists kind of surrounded by more interesting characters from history. They are so interesting in their own right, so fascinating to watch, and they get so much to do. And I think they are organically uh, integrated into the plot uh, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, and there's a lot of times when I thought it was really clever the way that they were kind of integrated or the way that sometimes they cause things to happen historically or just are, are swept up in it. But it never feels like, OK, let's just create these two kind of straw men and have them just kind of be part of events that are going on. Yeah, we should explain for those who don't know the show that at the center are this sort of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern figures that are sort of tangential to all of the big events surrounding them they were actual men they're the only two i believe soldiers act listed by name in caesar's writings of you know the the war at the time and that opening event that we see in the pilot actually happened everything else from that is sort of extrapolated out and they, they are fictional creations after that point but they're these two very interesting very different and in some ways very similar men who get swept up in you know the events that transpire and this the show takes us from the rise of caesar to the death of caesar at the end of season one and then the rise of octavian uh, augustus caesar at the end of season two and so it's a really defined arc and it's events that we're all pretty familiar with if we've taken a basic world history class and uh and so to see you know have these two central characters be our our leads throughout all these machinations i think works very well and it keeps us you know very invested yeah it's the life of brian approach to historical storytelling pretty much well if, if instead of a comedy it was at times very funny but at times incredibly dramatic <laughs> yes i've always i've always found life of brian pretty sad though but anyway um yeah, I mean the thing with the with the two protagonists, I think I mean there's no there's no doubt. No one here is going to argue with the fact that Titus Polo rules and Ray Stevenson is freaking amazing in this show and we'll get into why later. Um as for uh Varinus, you are not about to be wrong about this. Seriously? <sighs> Varinus is right. awesome. He's Kevin McKid right. for the win. No. He's 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 no Polo though. I mean No. There's just something lacking about that character, and I can't quite put my finger on why. In the next-to-last episode, I think it is, uh, or the third-to-last episode, he has a conversation with Antony, and he talks about how Antony has a disease that he's going to die from, and he knows because he has it too. And to be honest, I'm not really sure what they're going for in that scene because I don't really – I I don't get the same sense of conviction from Varinus as I get from Polo. Well, I, I, I know I what's wrong here. Um, you, you're wrong. Yeah, I'm wrong? Okay, yeah. fair enough. 
Gabe, weigh in. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love Verenus. Um, I think that his, just the characterization is so, uh, so interesting. He's just so bullheaded in so many ways, so stubborn in his, uh, nobility and kind of attempts to cling to tradition and, um, you know, obeying the gods and all that kind of stuff. He's very superstitious in that way. And he's not willing to kind of take risks unless they're very calculated. In a lot of ways, he is kind of similar to a Ned Stark type of figure, um, if we're going to bring up the Game of Thrones comparison again, in the sense that he, instead of just kind of stepping back and looking at a situation logically or trying to figure out the best way of conquering a problem, he always kind of goes with the traditional way. Like Unless he's being commanded by an officer in the army, for example, he won't go out and do something. I mean, it, the, it, the big introductory scene, as far as I'm concerned, be after that first battle scene for these guys is um, Varinus and Polo are kind of riding in the forest on their mission to retrieve the, the stolen eagle and the pilot. And Polo's kind of gloating about it, saying, you know, uh, they must have paid you something or, you know, they must have really put the squeeze on you if you're bringing me along because he knows how much he hates him. And Verena says, no, this is clearly a suicide mission, kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't type thing. And they don't really expect us to find it. And when we don't find it, they're going to kill us. And I'm aware of that fact. And so I brought the one guy who was already in prison and kind of under suspension of duty because I don't want any of my other men who are out here, you know, away from their families to get killed just on this basically suicide mission. Um, and I think that immediately establishes both characters. Polo's very kind of haughty in that way, and Varinus is just kind of noble to a fault, even to the point where he knows he's bringing somebody on a suicide mission, which ultimately doesn't turn out that way, but yeah. Well, I mean, the things you say are true to a point. I, I mean, with some glaring exceptions, like obviously the intervention in the arena and a few other things that come to mind. Well, but the other sure. thing I would mention that I think is important with Varinus is that he is not a, should we say, historically whitewashed character. It's not, he finds out that his grandson is actually his son and he snaps and is responsible for his wife's death and nearly kills a child because the guy's got some rage issues. So he, he his daughter you know, has, is the victim of many terrible things and even though she has, uh, she could get married and live a full life because she's found this guy who she cares about, who cares about her and doesn't care about her past. He won't let her because he's so hung up on. He, he's a man of his time, and I think that's an important distinction. Often in these sort of stories, we like to conveniently make um, our our heroes like the one person in their time period who don't care about sexism and racism and yeah, homophobia yeah. and all of this, but. You know, Varinus does feel like a man of his time. Yeah, and, and that's also true of Polo. I, I had to laugh at the stuff Polo gets away with in the series. Just, I mean, for instance, you know, beating a man to death and then eventually getting his wife anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, he's Polo, though. Let's talk about Polo a little bit. Obviously, uh, Simon, you're a crazy person when it comes to Varinus, but I, I, we're on the same page with Polo because that's a fantastic character and a fantastic performance, too, from Ray Stevenson. And the the thing that really impressed me about Stevenson, who I think I only previously saw that I can remember in last season of Dexter, which he was by far the best thing about the first half of, I, I'm really impressed with the way he's able, he has so many more notes to play than anyone else in the show. Like, whatever you think about Farinas, he's pretty single-minded most of the time, he's pretty grim most of the time, 
it's not as complex a performance. Whereas Polo is, you know, he can be a a, a lug, or he can be he's rageful, he's lovable, he's he's so many he can he's he's in so many different positions and so many different emotional states, and many of the most touching scenes involve, of course, him and Varinus, especially in the beginning of season two, which features I, I would say the season two opener is one of my favorite episodes, and just the way he cares for Varinus is. Uh, in turn actually made me care more about Verena's than I would have otherwise. Yeah, and a lot of the things that Polo goes through, especially in those last couple episodes of season two, where, you know, he'll have uh, Irene dies, and then he has the fight with Memeo, and then the next episode, I think, is when Memeo escapes, and um, whatever the character... Gaia? Yes. Zalika Robinson. Yeah, so when her character also is is dying and she admits what she did to Irene earlier in the season, and you just see his his eyes just glaze over into this almost like zombie-like hatred and cold rage as he throttles her and eventually just dumps her in the river um, at the end of the episode. And, and that's just, it's just so remarkable that he is able to play so many different colors and be this kind of you know, great fool, uh, you know, drinking and having sex and doing all this crazy stuff and, you know, have all these really funny scenes. And yet he's also able to go to some really dark places, some really serious places and make you really feel for him no matter what the situation is. Yeah, that Arrhenny arc is a perhaps a big part of why the Gannicus uh, love triangle and uh, eventuality in the end of Spartacus didn't work for me. I was like, I've, I've seen this already and it was done way better and it was on Rome. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna argue with that. Although, frankly, between the two shows, no contest. I'll take Spartacus. Sorry, but <laughs> uh, I mean, it's almost not fair because Spartacus got to be a complete show and Rome didn't. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess maybe we should talk about a, a little bit about about those final episodes and what does and doesn't work. Um, actually, since we're on the subject of actors, how do we feel about the Octavian actor switch? I didn't like it at the time. And uh, I was, I think it's really something that happened because they did, ha- I think they found out they were going to get canceled. And uh, so they had to speed forward the plot earlier than they would have liked. Um, but I do actually, looking at it now, um, while I think I still do prefer that the, the first actor and that character, for what they needed Octavian to become, the second actor is just so fabulous. He just, he's a snake. He's just cold and calculating, and they're like, and and something about his look is perfect for that, um, as well as it's an excellent performance. But uh, so yeah, I think I I like the first Octavian better, but I think for where they needed to go, maybe the switch was the right call. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was kind of weird at the time as well, and I think that's when I realized that they were going to really push it forward um, as far as the timeline goes, but. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I do think the second guy really has some great moments uh, towards the end, especially that scene with Cleopatra, to, uh, I think in the very last episode, is really great. Um, and there's just some other moments when, yeah, I mean, you can see, you can also see the roots of um, Max Perkis, I think is the younger actor's name. Uh, you can see the roots of his kind of portrayal in what the second guy tries to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does line up. You know, once you kind of get adjusted to the shift and the hair color change and all that kind yeah. of stuff. I mean, 
I, I definitely get what they were going for. I, I wonder if they overcorrected, though, because they go from this, you know, very soft-featured boy to this very hard-featured uh, and very, just very different physical presence uh, type of actor. And I, I think I would have really liked to have seen uh, Max Perkis, uh, the first actor. I would have liked to have seen, when I was watching those scenes of the older, uh, the older Octavian, I was thinking I would like to have seen him go for these notes because it would have been satisfying to watch that actor be able to tr- at least try to complete that evolution. Uh, but I don't think he's bad by any means. And you're right that the scene with Cleopatra is definitely his best. And speaking of Cleopatra, uh, I think it's really too bad that Lindsay Marshall didn't get two whole seasons to strut her stuff as Cleopatra because she's fantastic. Well, and that's one of the things that I wanted to make sure we talk about. One of the things this show does very, very well is it nails the big moments. So Caesar's death is fantastic on the floor of the Senate. It's just, it's amazing. And yep. the introduction of Cleopatra is fantastic. And the downfall of Antony and Cleopatra. is These moments are just as big as they need to be without, you don't get the A2 Brute and you don't get like the, the more cliched approach that could happen. Instead, they'd feel hugely powerful but also hugely real yeah i mean i think uh especially that that first season finale is so so great um and i believe alan taylor directed it yeah uh, who obviously again game of thrones fans will know um from directing the last couple episodes of season one directed some big episodes in season two he's directing uh the thor sequel which ray stevenson will be a part of obviously um which is cool but um yeah, I, I really think that 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 scene um, in which Niobe jumps off the balcony and she says the boy is blameless has always just kind of like given me nightmares in a way because it's so disturbing and just that kind of toss off line before she throws herself off. It's just so uh, it's so crushing and um, and yeah, just uh, uh, Kieran Hines' performance as Caesar is amazing too, and and just those final moments when he's almost having another epileptic attack in the way that he's shaking. Um, and he, he slowly tries to like cover up his face with his robe um, to kind of hide his shame as he's like bleeding out on the Senate floor. Just a lot of that is just so many, so many of these intimate moments on such a grand scale. And I think that's why it works so well. Mm-hmm. And what also surprised me about uh, Caesar slash Kieran Hines is that I'm so used to watching him be huge and play these like ridiculous larger than life roles like obviously i'm thinking of stuff like uh yeah political animals and and all and to, to some degree also in game of thrones and he is so res- weirdly reserved as caesar and it totally works i think it's one of his very best performances it's the definitive performance of caesar for me at least that i've seen and i've seen a few but he's he's i mean and he doesn't look like how i would expect caesar to look and yet i don't care because you know when when I remember watching that finale and and finally though I'd read, you know, Shakespeare's Julius Caesar and I'd read other, you know, accounts of that of that moment and also just seen other movies and things, it had never really hit me. Imagine if an unpopular power-hungry president got stabbed to death in the middle of of the Senate building. I mean, I just imagine that happened and this was the first time that i thought felt like they really captured it and it's just that performance i mean especially when uh the way that they handled brutus i think is also really really 
effective, but I, Kieran Hines, all the love. Lindsay Marshall also, like you said, Simon, all of the love. I also want to make sure we, we give a little bit of the love to some of the other ladies. I really enjoy Carrie Condon. They don't always give her the most fun things to play, but I, I do really enjoy her performance. But Polly Walker and Lindsay Duncan, I mean, that, that, that last moment we get with Servilia, that's etched in my mind forever. Right, yeah. Um, Lindsay Duncan's great. The thing with Atia that I find strange, though, and, and again, I think this is a, a matter of pacing issues in those last few episodes. I don't know. Maybe that's it. But they try to go for these triumphant moments with Atia in that last episode that didn't ring true to me. Is it Was that just me? And I, I feel as though we're supposed to root for her in the same way we root for, for Polo and Verinas to some degree. And I just thought everything about this is just sort of sad. Well, I for me, the only triumphant really moment for her in that last episode is that last time we see her. And I, I more felt like that was a nod to Servilia than anything else. Yeah. I mean, she definitely, her character definitely has some weaker moments, I guess, in those last couple episodes when she's just kind of pining for Antony and, you know, going to Egypt and kind of uh, pining outside the door for him and all that. But yeah, I, I do really like that, that final scene. And I think not only is it a nod to Servilia, but that character um, Octavian's wife, Livia, is actually, I believe, the same character from uh, the miniseries I, Claudius, mm-hmm. um, who is re- really famous just as kind of this uh, super villainous in that miniseries. And Atia in this show is almost a nod anyway to that character, um, just from like, I guess, a, a British Roman adaptation lineage or something. Um, and so I kind of like that that nod to that as well. Yeah, there's there's some really interesting uh, women in, on this show. Besides, obviously, we all know about Cleopatra, but Servilia, for example, was a real person who was the mother of Brutus and the, the lover of Caesar. And how had I never heard of this person? I mean, you have, we know about these two men, but we have, at least if anybody else is like me, never heard of this huge figure in both of their lives. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Yeah, the, the show's got lots of little avenues, things that you wouldn't, that you don't necessarily associate with the time period or don't think about much. Uh, I wish we'd seen more of Timon, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, who it's kind of seemed like another one of those season two things that it seemed like maybe they wanted to do more with, but there really wasn't time. Yeah. And, uh, oh, before we forget, cause we are actually almost already, we're already running out of time, but I, we do got to mention James Purefoy. If you're yes. watching the following, well, first of all, I don't understand where you're watching the following. But if you saw, like, the pilot and then checked out, I promise James Purefoy can be a good actor, and here's the proof. Yeah, and he gets almost all of his best material, I would say, in season two. Yeah. Mark Antony, interesting figure, and played in a different way, you know, watching that transition. Again, for me, this is a show all about progressions of characters. We see, we start out with with Varinus as the level-headed one and Polo as the the fool and then those they they switch and they kind of come back by the end you know it's all about you know it's such a cliched thing but it's all about these characters and their journeys and a lot of them go through really interesting transformations yeah and i think uh, one of my favorite mark antony moments is actually i think in the second episode um, at the end when um, he's supposed to be going and meeting kind of Pompey's, uh, I don't know how you would say it exactly, but basically they're supposed to make, attempt to make the peace or have some kind of negotiation at the Senate, and there's not supposed to be any weapons or any kind of violence or anything. And because of Polo's prior uh, fight with this guy from a bar, 
um, and he sees him again, uh, and he decides to attack him. Um, and then Antony just gets this look on his face as he says, you know, rally to me, rally to me a bunch of times, which I've always remembered because it was such a, just such an interesting moment. And the look on James Purifoy's face, knowing that this violence has happened and he gets so happy about it. And you kind of realize that's, that's who this guy is. He wants to be out there fighting. He's obviously not one for diplomacy as we see, you know, many times throughout the show, but that's just such a, a perfect moment. Just the look of glee on his face as he takes his sword out and says, rally to me and kind of rallies his troops. And it, it, he just wants, wants there to be blood. He wants there to be violence because uh, that's, that's where he lives and that's where he thrives. I think that's just such a great uh, little moment there. Definitely. Well, there are, there's still plenty of fantastic performances that we haven't gotten to, but I got to make sure we talk about the, just the look of the series. Cause it's gorgeous. We had a mind meld moment just there. Not just the look, but the, can we just take a minute to acknowledge how spectacularly expensive this show must have been? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Uh, I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, as much as I love Spartacus and I, it's totally the better show, you know, that's a show that gets that gets by a lot on green screen and CGI. And I, if there's green screen and CGI being employed here, it's not evident. You know, they pretty much just built Rome. Yeah. They, they flew to Italy and <laughs> built Rome and filmed it there. Yeah, well, and uh, it's filmed, or it was filmed at uh, the, I don't know how exactly you say it, but Cinecita Studios, where Fellini shot all of his movies, where Scorsese shot Gangs of New York and built that whole giant five-point set. Um, and, yeah, there, there's just so many, like, standing sets that they built. Um, it's just so amazing to look at. Like, a, the Aventine set, especially at the end of the first episode of season two, when Polo and Varinus have just killed uh, Erastes Fulman, and Varinus is carrying the head through uh, through that area, and they go up those stairs. All I think almost everything in that shot is actually real. It's all just the, the standing set that they built for season two because they knew so much of the action was going to take place there. And yeah, there's just so many things like that, so many uh, props and costumes. Uh, I would actually recommend anybody that wants to check this out on, on DVD or Blu-ray or something like that, rent it from the library, you know, blind buy it if there's like an Amazon sale, whatever. Um, but there's a feature called All Roads Lead to Rome, which is kind of like a, a trivia track um, that will tell you, you know, for certain props, certain little things that you see kind of the slaves of a household doing in the background or like a priest doing just little things. And they'll tell you what the significance of that, if it was a ritual, if it was a prayer, um, what the significance of that was. It'll tell you kind of behind the scenes uh, information about, you know, what it took to build certain costumes, what the significance of like a color was. If somebody's wearing a certain color to dinner with a certain, you know, senator or a, a soldier all that stuff has meaning, and it's all in the show. They put so much effort into that kind of stuff, and it's really you really get a sense just watching over and over again with these the trivia tracks and some of the commentaries how much effort was put into this show, and it makes it really rewatchable, at least for me. Oh, and e effort? Can we talk about the Battle of Philippi? <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> yeah, it's the, the the show is not lacking in its in its big moments and i i really appreciate that it knows the sense of scale that this story pretty much needs especially as it's lived on in our public you know imaginations for so long it's a popular story it's been retold many many times and so if they're going to do it 
they're going to do it the HBO way, which is ridiculous. Um, but that also led to the show getting canceled, and we should talk about that a little bit. Because um, obviously they had to speed up the end. They, they knew they needed to end with with Augustus rising to power, and so they ended up speeding through some of the events at the end. But and, you know, looking at, at HBO at the time, they obviously they were doing Rome, they were doing Deadwood, they they hadn't yet quite gotten the the huge numbers. It was after The Sopranos, yes. I, uh, yeah, ooh, yeah. I think just after. Don't quote me on it though. And so they they didn't, you know, they they decided to 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 cancel Rome because I can't imagine the expense it must have been been costing them. What do you guys think about that? I think they would not have done that with even a little bit of hindsight. Yeah, well, my thing, though, is I, I really think having watched the series so many times since its initial airing, um, I really do think that if you kind of look at the show as more of a really expensive miniseries just covering, you know, everybody's kind of favorite or most well-known bits of history from Rome, just that 20, I think it's like 21-year period, um, it really works in that way. If you don't look at it as, okay, there was supposed to be, you know, season three, four, five, because I, one of the strengths of it for me is that so many shows, you know, if they have a really buzzy first season or they really find themselves in the second season, whatever, then the following season you have, you know, especially if they killed people off, which has been happening a lot recently, um, you have all these new characters. And a lot of times, a lot of those characters don't work. Um, and they end up getting killed off, too, because they don't work or you just get annoyed by them because it's not the same as it was. And with Rome, you really don't have a lot of that. A lot of the little characters that come in, in the second season are really only there to kind of flesh out other storylines. And I think it's actually a strength that so much of season two is dealing with, you know, seeing what ends up happening to Servilia, seeing what ends up happening to Brutus, watching the fallout of Antony and Octavian, even though it is really compressed. Um, just getting to watch that without having to deal with a season three completely taking place, um, you know, in Egypt where, oh, you know, we see how Varinus ends up with that uh, prostitute that he's sleeping with, I think, in the beginning of episode nine of season two. Or, you know, oh, this is an adventure that, you know, Atia and her daughter have on their way over to Egypt or something. You know, there's so many little things in between that they could have done to really flesh that out that I think... I don't know that I would have really wanted to watch that because there would have been all these new characters and who knows how successful those would be. I mean, I, I really think looking back on it, the show, one of the strengths of the show for me is that you get all these moments and it, it wasn't cut off before they got to Antony and Cleopatra. Like, I'd rather have it in there, even if it does come up kind of quickly, um, than not have it in there at all and have the show feel incomplete in that way. It's the greatest hits edit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I absolutely hear what you're saying, Gabe. I would still like maybe like three to five more episodes. I don't know, you know, like I yeah, in a whole other season watching uh Cleopatra be a badass in Egypt, sure, sign me up. But I do feel like just even just a few more episodes could have made the pacing work a lot better for me. Um, I also want to make sure to mention the music because I think the scoring is great. I enjoy the um, the opening credits or at least the the sort of the graffiti and painting on, you know, cave painting kind of style, you know, artistic style of, of the opening credits. And I think that's a lot of fun. Um, and I love the newsreader. Yes. Yeah, the newsreader is great. 
it's Ian McNeese, and it's just I, I, and all the gestures are so specific. It's such a fun device. Anything else you guys want to mention about Rome? Uh, just to quickly sum up my overall thoughts uh, that I haven't already mentioned, not gay enough. Can I okay. just say not gay enough? Um, it, it's a little gay at times, but not nearly gay enough. Uh, and I maybe because you know you review the show you're reviewing and not other shows, fine. But I would have liked a little bit more uh, on slave life and the underclass in general. The show is quite infatuated with characters we mostly know about or characters they've invented who are close to the highborn, which is fun. Uh, but, you know, I was I was longing for a little bit of, you know, Spartacus's radical humanism, which I know this isn't Spartacus, but I'm just saying that's mm. something I was thinking about. Uh, I do think it's very good. I think it's got a lot of great episodes and enjoyable moments. I think it's not quite like a, a lost great series, but it's just like a couple notches below that for me. OK, Gabe, any thoughts? Um, well, yeah, like I said, I, I definitely would recommend people check out the DVDs and Blu-rays um, if they haven't seen the show. Um, if you're looking for kind of one commentary to listen to, uh, Ray Stevenson does a commentary on season one, episode five called The Ram Has Touched the Wall, which is one of my favorite episodes. Um, but it's just him by himself. But he's so interesting to listen to. Uh, he's so intelligent, has so many great little anecdotes from the set. He makes fun of uh, James Purefoy's costumes a bunch of times. It's <laughs> um, kind of ragging on him. Yeah, it's it's really great. So that that's it's really uh, a really great commentary if there's kind of one that somebody wants to listen to. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you know, this is just one of my favorite shows. Um, I've rewatched the series a bunch of times, um, and I think it really a lot of it does get better just because there are, especially when you watch it with that uh, kind of interactive trivia track. You learn so much about what went into every episode, so many of the little details for each scene, and a lot of that kind of historical context or learning about certain prayer rituals somebody was doing or, you know, a certain position that they're standing in during a dinner, which uh, evokes a certain power. Um, a lot of that stuff really informs those scenes, and you really get a kind of a deeper layer of understanding of what's going on in a lot of the subtext of a lot of the scenes, too. So I definitely, I definitely think that's worth it as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. All the special features on the DVD are, are pretty great, and they also look very pretty. They're, it's good packaging, good design from the yes. HBO people, so that's definitely worth worth mentioning. Well, Gabe, thank you so much for coming uh, back to the Televerse. Uh, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, well, the best place is on Twitter, uh, at GBusco, it's G-B-U-C-S-K-O, and uh, obviously I appear on Masterpiece Cinema on Sound On Site. Uh, new episodes go up every Saturday. Um, what are we? Well, I think we're talking about uh, Oliver and Company will be going up pretty soon um, over the next couple of weeks. I know we have Muppet Movie because they just released the Blu-ray of that. We're going to be talking about the 1993 Three Musketeers um, and just some other great stuff coming up. So, yeah. Good times. Well, thank you once again for coming on and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. <laughs>